0: As a professional welder, Shana Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the
0: smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller Hey, what's going on? This is Rad, and another episode of Soft Rep Radio coming your way. This is a special episode. This is airing around Veterans Day 2022. Uh, You know I don't like to date my episodes because I want them to be forever, but this is a very special guest. I have David Velovia, who is a recipient of the United States Congressional Medal of Honor in its entirety, as well as some other accolades as well, like bronze stars and things that he wears on his chest. David has taking time out of his busy day to join us and discuss the situations that presented themselves to him while he was in the military, in combat, and we're going to talk to him about transitioning after that and, uh, you know, just get to know David and his story. So welcome to the show, David.
6: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, David, so like the the big elephant in the room is uh, you served in the military, right?
6: That is the big reveal is, uh, yeah, veteran, uh, that's right.
2: And uh, if I read what I read so far in your book and understanding, you joined a little later in life, right? You were not a 17-year-old in boot camp. Tell me how old you were.
6: I was uh, 24 when I joined the Army. I was uh, in college at the very end of it. And I was just really, it's one of those decisions I think we all kind of, whether you make it early or you make it later in life, there's a lot of advantages to having your life in order before you, you join the military. And then you have the fact that physically you feel like a dinosaur. And, you know, when you're approaching 30 and you're running around with a bunch of 22 year olds, you know, it humbles you because, you know, these guys are sweating out vodka and Copenhagen through their pores and you're out there <laughs> you know, trying to keep up. But at the same time, it was something I had to do with my life. I really did. And I'm glad I made the decision, but I'm glad that I had life behind me so that I could be able to be a surrogate father to young people and have my head on straight. It
2: was the right time to do it. Yeah. As a surrogate father, I I can totally see how that would, that mental uh, toughness that you had already built up from being in school, having to stay on task and, you know, get your accomplishments done. You know, they probably look to you in boot camp basic, I bet you even were talked to by your instructors like, hey, look, you're older, you're going to need to like, you know, be in charge.
6: <laughs> right, But, you know, it's also a false sense of a little bit of a false sense that you're ready to lead on day one. And I think the, the biggest lesson I learned was that you can't really lead until you know how to follow. You've got to learn how to follow before you can get to a position where you could say, look, man, you're going to have, you're going to learn more from bad leaders than you learn from the great ones. And you can't distinguish a great leader until you've had a couple of, you know, shitty leaders. Let's be honest. You got to have a few people that you're just like, what's going on here? This isn't, you know, this isn't the way it should be done. So all of those things kind of lead, you know, they they build up to a a data bank of information that
2: you could use when you get tapped to be in charge. Yeah. You finally see who good platoon leader or squad leader is once you've had a few other ones you're like oh this guy actually knows <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. i'll stay here okay so so that's a you're you're an 11 bravo that's a infantryman in the united states army and i think they have a nickname called bang bang is that right they have a lot of nicknames but uh most aren't pg yes. 13 so we'll keep. oh yeah true i was trying to stick it to that one so in the infantry, you became airborne. Is that a thing? I was uh, mechanized. So started out mechanized. light infantry, and then we went mechanized. And
6: mechanized has always had the reputation of being fat and lazy. And, you know, the airborne guys are the elite guys The you know, the Rangers, the green berets, the, there's elite infantry and sure. then there's, but mechanized on the totem pole of credibility was kind of like, you guys are just tankers with, you know, blue cords. And then, you know, combat kicks in, and you realize how important that that armor element is and what the mechanized guys can do. And so, you know, we, we found out through the fires of battle.
2: Yeah, uh, striker one oh five millimeter comes in handy probably, you know. <laughs> twenty five millimeter you know, uh, as well,
6: yeah. you know, so Joe. Oh
2: twenty five yeah. Yeah yeah, right, right. That's that's what it is. is. I I'd say you spent time in that, right?
6: I did. And, and I, you know, looked at the, the Bradley, like, you know, I'm the dismount. I'm going to do shoot, move and communicate outside. I don't need these armored guys at all. Tankers to me were a joke. And then I get into combat and now I'm like, if I find out you're a tanker, I'm, I might pay for your kid's cows, let alone buy a beer. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge friend of tanks and I'm a huge friend of Bradley fighting vehicles and Apaches and you name it. Sometimes it, outside of garrison, you start to realize everyone in this military is needed for you to come home and you appreciate right. those jobs, you know, when you're out there hooking and jabbing.
2: Yeah. Which you have, uh, you've done, you went to Kosovo. All right. Right. You deployed over to Kosovo. And, uh, what happened with you over in that little bit of the world for a minute?
6: I was deeply disappointed. They called Kosovo a war and I was like, I didn't get it. You know, I was babysitting, watching dogs mate, you know, like, just kind of, the season's changing. There was nothing going on. But my leaders in my unit, my senior NCOs, my my leaders were able to take that six-month deployment that turned into nine and really make it about training up for the Iraq War for us. And had we not had all that equipment, all of those munitions, we lived on a range. You yeah. know how tough range time is, you know, right. to get time out there. We lived on a range and we could shoot all day, all night, And we were ready for battle on day one because of of the leaders of my battalion and company that decided to turn Kosovo into a giant spendex. you know, on a range and get ready for war.
2: Right. So you're all coiled up. You guys were totally ready to to go to war because you had been doing live fire training and getting that out of your system. And then and then the time comes for you to go over there. Right. It's like 2000 after 9-11. You know, the towers have hit. We've combated the war on terror. And now you're going into Iraq to fight against you know, the repression, re- the regime over there, that was awful. All right. We've, I lived through it. Right. I watched it on the TV. I probably watched you. I, I swear. And thank you. However, your thoughts of your family here, right. Cause I read what you had to Didn't you have to leave your family for a little while? Like, yeah. And uh, make a yeah. hard choice. Yeah. I mean, from a father's point of view, tell me about that.
6: It was tough. I mean, so my son was born with some medical issues. The Army really didn't know what to do when you're a baby. You got to get to a certain age before the Army feels comfortable putting you in an Army hospital and whatnot. So I was, uh, you know, on a compassionate reassignment. That turned into basically a choice after 9-11 hit while I was on that compassionate reassignment. You know, go on an all others tour, which means that you're away from your family for three years or get out of the Army and the towers hit i wanted to fight and i and afghanistan was yeah. the you know the good war it was the war to avenge 911 i i didn't know anything about iraq it wasn't on the horizon it turned out that that was our fight but yeah 3 years away from family is is enough to focus you you obviously miss home but you're here to do a job get those guys ready so that as much as i love my little boy i had 11 guys that were little boys to a mom and dad somewhere at home and
2: Hundred percent. I figured you'd say that. <laughs> that's why I was like, let me ask this. And uh, your wife, right? You stayed married that whole time. Is that my understanding? Is someone was there? To I, I ended up, well, end up. I ended up.
6: I ended up getting me. divorced yeah. uh, after the war. But and that's the reason why this book was important to me. You know, I, I wrote a book in two thousand seven, and honestly, it became a part of this almost war pornography genre where. What I was trying to do with House to House was write a book about what combat's really like. You know, it, this Victorian sense of combat was just so unrealistic. We're not Starship Troopers. These are young people doing crazy things. And then it was like, well, let's do a follow-up. Let's do a follow-up. I have nothing to say. I don't want to be a professional veteran. I don't want to run around. And But right. I, I, after this whole award, a lot of us are going through divorce. A lot of us are going through addiction problems and have suicidal ideation and are dealing with all of these issues so you know what let's put it on the table you can use the war as an excuse for only so long but we got to deal with other issues and we got to talk about them like like soldiers like men we've got to talk about our problems and realize that i made a commitment to these guys in fire that i would say i'm never leaving your side and yet when i came home like so many other people i got distracted I don't want to hear someone at 2 a.m. I don't want to deal with your problems. I got my own problems. And I realized that I'm going to be a forever soldier now because of some award. I've got to be accountable. I've got to be an NCO again. I've got to be a forever soldier because my men are going to need that. And you know what? I'm going to need them too. So we need each other. We got to rely on each other. That was really the the basis of, of writing this book.
2: Right, and just to give the title of the book, it's Remember the Ramrods, you know, uh, just to show it up here on the screen for those of you that are going to watch it on the softrep.com YouTube channel, you know, Remember the Ramrods, an army brotherhood in war and peace on the cover is just a whole group of guys wearing mixed match camouflage. I want to point that out. That's how early in the war it was. They're wearing DCU tricolors, which is also referred to as coffee stains. It's the tan uniform. You saw it like in Black Hawk Down, and then They're wearing their, you know, body armor. That's woodland camouflage. So you guys are still mixed from, you know, the 80s era of uniforms and, you know, Desert Storm early 90s. That cover. And I think, let me take my glasses off. I think that dude's wearing like ACUs, right? So like you got some ACUs on there maybe. (laughs) It's a hodgepodge, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's got yeah, it's a hodgepodge for sure. <laughs> Just to kind of show that up there, if you get a good look at it, you know what? Are, that's your Bradley fighting vehicle you're sitting on there, huh? Hummer.
6: no, I think that's a Bradley fighting vehicle. That's yeah. uh, uh, one of the mounted sections. You know, what's so crazy about that picture was that we had we were taking losses. Fallujah happened to us at the towards the end of the deployment, but we were taking losses and nobody had pictures of the new guys. And one of the worst feelings in the world is to go to memorial service and no one has a photo of the guy to put up there. And so when we got ready for Fallujah, you started to see this really intentional process of everyone taking photos of each other so that if something were to happen, we at least had a photo, a good photo of each other. Yeah. And it was almost a weird experience. Like I never took a platoon photo ever. We never thought about it. We had things to do. But here we are about to go into Fallujah, and everyone's like, hey, let's get one. Let's get a photo. Let's yeah. let's document this because in two days, we might be standing over more you know, hurt
2: guys. Just to show some of those photos, I opened up the book right here. It's an awesome book, too, by the way. I've been reading it. I'm probably on the second and a half chapter. I just got it today, and I know we just went straight up on it. But I know that this head bowed right here on the back of your book of you just kind of tells me, you know, I don't know. I just feel so emotional when I see you thinking whatever you're thinking right there, what are you thinking in this photo right here with your head down?
6: You know, I was thinking head. when I was in my twenties, I could never tell another guy that I loved them. I felt weird about it. And now that I'm old and middle-aged, <laughs> I wish I would have been able to tell the people. I wish I would have been able to tell my, my family, my tribe, my, my unit, how much I care about them. And yeah. this, Award is so weird and it's so uncomfortable and awkward, but it gave me an opportunity to make this about my team, which is what we're, we're trained in the military. It's always about the team, and then they make an individual award, and you're like, "Wait a minute! Don't remember me? The team? Don't talk? Don't talk about the Medal of Honor. Talk about the Ramrods. That's my battalion. That's my team. We did right. everything together. It's going to be about us, not me."
2: Yeah, I mean, in the in here, some of your hero, heroics are you know, taking an M249 and just, you know, clearing the path so that you can move your men across the way and get out of that situation of this house that you had to go into. Tell us about this story where this this experience that you had to chase the man in white. I mean, there's just so much that you have to deal with. Uh, Let's get into it. Tell me, here we are, boom, 2004, 2005.
6: Yeah, no. So at the end, after Fallujah, we, we come out of that and feel a whole lot of swagger. We lost a lot of important guys, our company commander, our sergeant major, our XO. No unit has really gone through that type of attrition with officers and senior NCOs since Vietnam. We had a tremendous yes. amount of attention because of all the media that was around us. And and so we had this swagger to us. And I am in a situation in a town getting ready for the first Iraqi elections in January of 05. And I have a guy like 10 feet in front of me. And it's like the easiest shot of the deployment. And I just missed him. I thought my weapon wasn't zeroed. My sweat was... I had a million excuses. But at the ultimate, what I was faced with is that it wasn't my skill. It wasn't my determination. I didn't have to ring a Jesus fire around me because I'm an American soldier. I got lucky. I got lucky in Fallujah. I got lucky on all those patrols and all those firefights. And all the enemy that we killed, we got lucky that we weren't a casualty. And facing that reality, that no matter how hard you train, no matter what you're fighting for, at the end of the day, the enemy and luck have a vote, absolutely destroyed my self-esteem. It destroyed my swagger. It destroyed my ability to realize that this is just random. That those friends of mine who died and gave their lives, I could have been there They chose to go instead of me. They lost their lives. I'm here. What am I going to do with this? Am I going to go home and just sulk and self pity and drink myself to sleep? Or am I going to try to live my life for them? Live my life in a way that they would have lived their lives for me if I would have died? Am I going to talk to their mom and dad like they would have talked to mine? Are they going to, am I going to talk to their kids like they promised to talk to mine? And over the years, I just started putting it away and just, I'll do it eventually. I'll do it eventually. And I never did it. I never fulfilled my promise to myself, to my guys. And I was forced to be in a position where I had to relive the war now for the rest of my life. And I figured if I'm going to live the war, the rest of my life, I want to be with the people that got me through it. I want to be in their lives again. You know, they're, they're, they're my yeah. family, you know, and, and I care about them. Then so this award allowed me to be, a ramrod again allowed me to be in their lives, and, it, and it's a gift.
3: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in DC, Maryland, and Virginia.
2: it probably ignited it for them as well, you know, because they're a ramrod, right? It's like, there's a right. the team, okay? So here you go. Here you go. Here's here's your medal. Congratulations on what right. you had to live through to get that, okay? But now the ramrods, which I'm now talking about, right? I talked to my buddy yesterday. I was like, Ajax, heard of the ramrods? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm interviewing a dude that got the Medal of Honor from the ramrods. He's like, okay. Cause he's a very historical. I go to him for a lot of advice. I'm like, what should I say? You know, but right, right. To, to, to know that the, the, the yeah, 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 you know. And I want to give him a shout out because I love, I love you, Ajax. I appreciate all your advice. But with the ramrods being said right now, you know, there you go. All your bros that have made it that are doing exactly what you're saying, fighting to survive for those that didn't. Okay, continuing right, right. forward for their brothers they look at you like, yeah, we were there. He did that. It's all accounted for. Someone wrote this all down. Someone someone saw all these actions happen, but you saw so much more. You saw so many other things that never got jotted down, never got probably blotted into their military record for their life to have, but it's all up here and you're ramrods and you probably have shoulder-to-shoulder conversations of trench warfare, if you will, that no one else even understands.
6: And That's very eloquent and beautiful and I appreciate you saying that. It's so true. These guys... I thought for years and years that I missed the war. I think we all feel when we come home, no one wants to peak in their 20s. No one wants to know that the best years of their life are behind him. Sure.
2: Right. <laughs> that
6: dude did that when he was, he was 24. The guy lived to be 99. And we talk about Chuck Yeager when he's 24, Chuck Yeager did a whole hell of a lot with his life other than break the sound barrier. But that's what we're focused on. Right. And I thought for years, I missed war. I missed the adrenaline. I missed the combat, the experience. What I missed was I missed feeling like I had a purpose. I missed my validation. Mm -hmm. I missed my sense that I'm needed. And so many guys are feeling that when we come home to civilian life. Where do we fit in? What are we good at? And so I didn't miss the war. I missed my relationships with my friends. I missed them. And once I realized that I got to find... A purpose. I got to find my meaning here in the civilian world. It's not combat that we miss, it's the experience of I'm needed. And I need, I have to have that feeling in my life that I have a purpose and I'm needed in the fight. And that's all I want to do in this world is just, this is what we need you for. And if we can do that more, we're going to keep more veterans alive, we're going to keep more veterans employed. We're going to keep more veterans with a sense of purpose. And that's ultimately what our, what our goal should be.
2: Right. And to help them to just see that there's success out there by just being themselves and moving forward with, yes, you were in the military. That was a part of who you are, you know, and uh, you can move forward with that war college that you've learned and then apply that to yourself by just still gaining ground and moving forward in your civilian life. Cause <laughs> once it, you start gaining ground and yeah. Yeah. No, but see, but that, that's, that's so Once you stop,
6: you stop. But that's the thing: is that it's not the message; it's the messenger, right? You can put something out that's just black and white, and this is the truth, and it's a true north, yeah. and it's never going to do you wrong. Integrity, discipline, all the values that you learn. Where is that message coming from? It can't come from some stranger at the VA. It can't come from some right. you know DJ at a radio station. It's got to come from someone in your peer group or your cohort, someone that you respect and and someone that you've worked with. And so what we have to get on is is that message has to be repeated. What you just said is the essence of life. You're never going to stop learning. You're never going to stop growing. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. And all those things that you did in uniform, you use to make you better, to make you sharper and stronger. Life is no different. And we're going to hit hit this thing head on, just like we did battle.
2: That's right. Because life is just that. It is a battle of just, you know, first you put your oxygen mask on you in the airplane, and then you put it on the one next to you. So as long as you (laughs) focus on you, okay, and you breathe and you move forward, (laughs) then you're the person next to you. Because if you don't help yourself, how are you going to help them? And you want to help them because you're a good person. And that's how we, I think... I think 90% of humanity are good people. Basically, everybody is good. I think we all have it in us to realize that we all come from a mother and that we all have the same red blood that beats through our veins. If it could just stop, you know, like if we could just stop the insanity, that's it. This, this, it's a hard. War. Part. I that, know that we, it's a hard Trained part. Warriors are ready to go fight. Yeah. They're ready to be switched it's a hard on. Part.
6: And there's a, a duplicity of combat. There's a, you know, this juxtaposition that's almost schizophrenic where. You know, you could be an honorable soldier and do your job, and take the life of someone who is an honorable soldier on their side. And now you think about, you know, uh, all of what's going on and the wake of combat. What happens after the battle stops? It's a lot to, to decom. It's a lot to com- to decompress. It's a lot to compartmentalize. But at the same time, right? We've got a generation in Vietnam that went through it. We've got a generation of people in the Gulf War. We've got so many resources of people that have gone through it. This excuse of we have to show empathy to people that are struggling, and we should never ever shriek from that responsibility of showing empathy. But at the same time, we got to show some tough love. We got, and, and some people are motivated by a, a boot up their ass to say, "Hey, listen, man, I know it. It sucks. I'm with it too, but we're going to do this. So get off your couch." And you followed me before, follow me again, because I might need to follow you. I'm going to have bad days, too. And I need you to be there for me like I'm going to be there for you. But, uh, you know, brush it off and and
2: keep, keep charging. Exactly. You know, if you've always wanted to have a little cabin on a river that was like a bed of breakfast for someone to come and stay at and you're like, I want to get out of this place, and when I get out of the military, I'm gonna have this like nice little life, you know redwood forest treehouse for bed and breakfast. No gonna bother me. What are you doing towards that goal? What are you doing today to help put yourself towards it? Are you saying today I'm gonna to try to? Right.
6: Exactly. Yeah. You know. I mean, whether it's uh, you know these guys that you know want to start a coffee company, everyone's like, "What the hell are you thinking? No one's gonna buy coffee right. from veterans." No one's going to buy socks from (laughs) veterans. Who the hell in their right mind? You're just a combat veteran. What are you going to do? We change the world in uniform with flags on our shoulders and rifles in our hands. We're going to change the world when we come home. And look, I served with people that were gay and straight. I served with people that canceled my vote come this Tuesday, you know, uh, election cycle. They cancel your vote. People that are Red Sox fans and Yankee fans. We disagreed on everything. And yet we worked together, we cared about each other, and we respected each other. Right. That's needed in today's America more than anything else in the world, man. You can have a difference of opinion. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I just want to make sure that you're going to be there when I need you. And more
2: people exactly. need ask
6: that of our fellow citizens to just say, hey, put this, put this stuff in the rear view and let's focus.
2: Right. Exactly. And if we could just unify instead of, you know, Connect each other all the time we might just see you know hey how's it going can i come over as a neighbor and borrow a cup of sugar instead of like who's at my door what do you want it's like <laughs> right, it's your neighbor i just need a cup of sugar bro and he's like uh let me, let me put down all this arsenals you know the days yeah. have changed of mom having a bowl of food out or t- treats i'm like oh no those are for someone coming who i don't know a guest not for you it's like right. i, I want to eat those candies those are for our guests but today it's like knock at the door you're, like, picking down the blinds. You're like, who is right. it? <laughs> right, 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 right. Change yeah, strong. times have changed. It, it has. Right. It has, dude. Uh, some people need to get some snowboarding in their life. That's what it is. You want to you get some mental release. Go out in the mountains and live in a snow globe where it's just crystals in your face and you're just what it, what crushing does do white you? snow. What does it do for It you? releases me. I'm yeah. released. I am, I take my wife. She and I just feel that Tuesdays are, are mental Tuesdays where... You can't stop us. I'm off work. I'm going. Uh, We're hitting the snow and a fresh day with sparkles of snow that just glitter along. And all you're doing is wondering, each one of you are special, like a fingerprint. Every little snowflake, you're like, this is coming from space. It just changes what you're thinking about. I'm not even thinking about the problems. I'm thinking about where wow. does the snow crystals come from? It's like, and then once you learn to carve and snowboard or find passion in it, you'll love it. Right. If you want, if all you're doing is shoveling snow, I guess make the most of it. Okay. But if you can learn to ride it or appreciate it and see all that it has in its beauty and glory, it'll just free your mind. And that's the same thing by going outdoors in the mountains, going for a hike, just re- releasing that stress, you know, getting some of that fresh air. They say that, you know, being in clean air in the forest, in the jungles where there's not all of the saturated carbon monoxide that we're breathing is better for us. So, You know, if I'm riding a lift with my wife and there's no one around except me, her and a porcupine climbing a tree, (laughs) you know, it's good air.
6: Hmm. so when you you didn't have that before you discovered that, what kind of brought you into that lifestyle? The fact that you need, how did you identify that you needed that?
2: Okay. All right. So fair enough. My father was a Green Beret and growing up, I always wanted to do something with skiing. And I didn't know what. So I earned cross-country skis from my neighbor who gave them to me for sweeping and cleaning his stuff. And then I got Ah. snow boots. And then my my dad, he's like, you're into this, huh? And I was like, I am. I really want to be in the snow, dad. There's something about the snow. You know, I think this girl was in Junior Olympics in the winter sports here. And she was coming into school in like third grade with medals. And like her parents put her in skiing. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be in the Winter Games or something. So my dad... Would take me up to the park and he would sit with his lights on in his car at night and he would send me around this entire field and he started training me for a biathlon which is where you take cross country skis yeah and a rifle so i was about 11 12 years old started trying to be a biathlon participant and it's hard it is really really hard it is so hard i mean you're you're not going downhill (laughs) okay so it's like constant work and so i said the funnest part of cross-country skiing, besides shooting, is going down the hill, dad. As soon as I get that hill, I know it's coming up. It's just easy on my legs. So I started to get into downhill skiing, and uh, that eventually led right into snowboarding. And I was just, and that was 14 years old. I've been doing it for about 30 years now. And uh, wow, it's uh, it frees me. So I was in the military in the late 90s, 99 to 2000. I got out of the military with an injury, and I had to have a U-turn in my life. Everybody's like, oh, the military gives me a direction, a, a direction to the left. It gave me a U-turn. It said, go back, start over, figure yourself out. I took time off of snowboarding because I, was, I had an injury, and I didn't want to re-tear my ACL or my meniscus. All right? Yeah. So I get, re- I get married. My wife's like, you promised me that you'd take me snowboarding someday. You said you used to snowboard all the time. I was like, all right, tomorrow. So the next day, whenever that was, I said, let's go. And we started snowboarding all over again, and I had missed it. It was just, I didn't want to tear my injury up again. I don't want to reestablish limping and having to be on crutches all over again. So that was my, uh, it's, it's an outlet snowboarding and, uh, being in the mountains is an outlet for me. I love photography, you know, and that whole thing, it's, it's what it is. I take photos and video up there. That's really cool.
6: And and what's, what's impressive about that is that at an age where most people have no self identity, you know, at that age is when you're kind of give me as much to, you know, find where I'm going to go or what I'm interested in. You have the ability to kind of say, this is it. Like, this is the yeah. the one thing that, you know, I, I'm from Buffalo. We have snow all the time. And there are people that bemoan snow. They hate snow. They're afraid of snow. Snow is the worst thing in the world. And here you find <laughs> snow as being a comfort, a release. It's freedom. You know what I mean? That's it oh, yeah. touch something in you. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. I say paradise cool. doesn't always have a beach yeah <laughs>
6: <laughs> sure, right.
2: big hill yeah yeah just give me a cabin next to the lift so like just walk out and go right to it and wake up to the powder day uh, that would that gives me purpose right I find purpose cool. in that I feel like you know and I think if somebody hears us talking like this and finds a purpose in something that they love so much whether it's an adult baseball league, you know, and they're like, they used to play baseball, but there's adults playing baseball because they didn't go pro. They could have gone pro, but maybe they joined the military. Okay. Right. <laughs> and they need something to do after that. I'm not even kidding. So, I mean, I think that if we can find some type of social gathering that can keep us kind of connected, like you reconnecting with your Ramrods through the smell, through the, uh, all the parokes. you guys have all been there. You guys all earned your Pokemon cards together in battle. You guys all got that stuff together, you know, and, and, you, you did some heroic things with an M249, you know, and um, your friends can talk about that today because of that.
6: And honestly, um, I'm here and my kids have a dad because of what they That's did. It. It, it's it's one of those things where it's like your number gets called and y- you don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to be your turn one day, your turn the next day. And and if I didn't have an embedded reporter that was filming the whole thing, I'm not even sure, you, you know, know, the award happens. And and it happened, you know, 15 years after the battle after the war. And so you're just kind of like minding your own business. I was at a point where no one really knew I was a veteran anymore. And I was kind of happy about that. You know, I was earning my keep and making a living, not having to tell people that I served. And then all of a sudden, I remember a guy at work came up to me and said, there's a guy with your name that's getting the Medal of Honor. Did you read that in the paper? And I was like, yeah, I did. And they're like, it's yeah. unbelievable. How many people have your name exactly? You know, and they had Belvia. no idea. That, yeah, they had no yeah. idea that that, that that was who, what I, what I'd done, or what I it was you. Yeah, and and so, but now it's all different. Now it's the first thing they talk about. It's the only thing they talk about. And yet, right. my soldiers, I figured, you know, if we're going to bring attention to one let's focus on everyone. A lot of guys did incredible things and never got the credit for it. And they're as important, if not more important, because those guys did it every day. You know, I I love them and I care about them and I want them to get their moment as well. So this has been a commitment to my unit because my unit did incredible things together as a team. And I'm proud of that.
2: That's right. That's right. That's really awesome. I, I mean, what a brotherhood. And some of the things that we do here in Utah is uh, war games. We uh, do a lot of that. And there's a lot of us in our 30s, 40s, 50s, youngers, some people who can never join because of asthma and they come out and they play war games on a large scale here. It's a very popular sport. And, uh, right. you know, uh, I, I work with a lot of that out here. And I just see so many folks like yourself, okay, medals, no medals, just simply exactly who we are coming out and just looking for that same shoulder-to-shoulder type attitude, right? They're like, hey, I'm missing something. They're like, what's this war games you're doing? I'm like, what's where we go out in the desert? And we just, I have a tank. I bring a tank out and uh, we have it mechanized and we have a mechanized, we have to have troops with it and the whole nine yards. And otherwise it'll get blown up by the other guys. It's, it's quite, it's just war games, right? We use airsoft guns and we go out and everybody looks just like this right yeah. here. It's right. just airsoft. It's a whole other thing. And so, and what I'm pointing at here is his book, right? And on the cover of it, you have all these guys and all this camo, and they're sitting on top of a tank. Well, you know, we do that out here, and I get the veterans and that come out. And active duty guys are like, hey, cool. I'm going to put on this whole Russian kit and just change myself today and not be this regular everyday guy and just run an AK, you know? But, right, right. I mean, it's just a, it's like the baseball team. It's like, you're going to go out yeah. snowboarding. You're looking for something to to bond with, you know? And if you get out and you're looking for something in your area, look up airsoft war games on the internet. I'm just saying, you know, somebody might appreciate you coming out with some military experience and saying, Hey, this is how you get up and get down.
6: <laughs> right. There you go. It's yeah. good, stuff.
2: Yeah, That's good it, stuff. It is. It is. And, um, what's how, even doing the circuit, huh? Yeah, I it, around and talking to a lot of different people about your book. I'm, I'm just looking at your book right here. And uh, yeah, yeah. It says but, here, I, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Everyone has something to say. And not a single person voted against this award or the citation. Instead, they asked, why does this take so long? I wanted to point that out because we talked about it took 15 years for you to finally be recognized, right, for this this, this award. And, and this quote here, you know, talking about why did it take so long wasn't that a word to you? Who's the president that gave this to you? So that
6: um, the award was uh, the process was started by President Obama and the award was mm-hmm. um, presented by President Trump. So it, it, it started, okay. you know, during the war, during the Trump administration or the uh, Bush administration. But Obama's administration, uh, Ash- Secretary Carter just passed away uh, not too long ago. But Secretary Carter started a a whole thing to. um
2: So, David, I want to read a little bit out of your book here, since you brought up, you know, that it took about 15 years for you to get your award. It says everyone had something to say and not a single person voted against this award or citation. Instead, they asked, why did this take so long? So I read that out of your book. And now on the back of it, it shows a picture of you. And usually this is accompanied by like a president or somebody awarding you. Who was the president that started the process and awarded you this medal?
6: So, President Obama's Secretary of Defense Ash Carter, who just passed away recently, started a process where the awards were revisited—silver uh, stars and up—and uh, all branches of service presented people that they thought uh, maybe deserved another look. Uh, president Obama's uh, DOD is what uh, issued the paperwork for this award, and then when it was approved, President Trump was the President of the United States, and he uh, he put it on me. So uh, it's really two
2: presidents that uh, had a piece in this that inter- yeah and so that's a really an honorable thing i mean to go to the white house right is that where you got to go yeah
6: yeah it was pretty crazy i mean you know that's a rare uh, in my life that's you know you don't get many presidents calling you on the phone having you over for dinner you know that was pretty
2: weird right rolling to the white house what was that like a like i have a pass it's like here's my backstage pass um
6: i'll tell you you know it, it's not only the you're in a room <laughs> a building that has so much history but my guys were like, we had so many years that had passed, but they were still. The, I mean, like the voices, we were all the same. And so these guys were not. The Medal of Honor is a very stoic, serious ceremony. These guys start hooting and hollering and going nuts, and they're drinking way too much alcohol. And and it was just awesome to see them. It reminded me of like Andrew Jackson when he brought all the the folks into the white house during his inauguration, they trashed the place. I was like, the Ramrods are going <laughs> to trash this place. This is going to be like, you know, but they were awesome. They were real. They were real. There was no, they, there weren't going to be changed no, yeah. because of the president. They weren't going to be changed because of the white house. This is who we are and who, and, uh, right. it, it was fun.
2: It was a, it was a cool experience. That's way cool. And, uh, I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing now besides uh, being an author? Is there? Is this your focus right now? Is just being this, you know, spokesperson for the ramrods? <laughs> no, well, I mean, it's a job that, that I'll take for the rest of my life because they're they're yeah. worth it, you know.
6: But uh, it, it's not. It, it doesn't have a good dental plan, you know. <laughs> it doesn't have the best <laughs> yeah. benefits. But but I work as a, a radio a talk show host, and I did that before any of this happened. And, in fact, I was doing my radio show when the news broke that I was getting the award, which is one of the weirdest moments ever when news breaks in and you find out that you're you know the only living recipient the in the Iraq war. Yeah, it was really strange, but I was that guy before any of this happened, and then it happened, and I was kind of like, well, what do I do now? I mean, am I supposed to go eat shrimp and you know, hang out with uh, start my reality television career like my Medal of Honor life on TLC. Like, what do you do? M O H on TLC. Yeah. Yeah. What, what am I supposed to do? Uh, so I'm just like I'm just going to do yeah. what I've always done, which is I'm a, I'm a Buffalonian. I love Buffalo. I do uh, you know the, a talk show in Buffalo. We talk about people. We these, this is where I'm from. These are my Doug folks. Flutie. <laughs> well, well, we've evolved, but we're still we're still talking. About but but yeah, okay. I mean, it's fun and, and it's home and it's fu- it's, it's cool. So exactly. a lot a lot's changed in my life, but I try to keep as grounded and focused as
2: I can. That's very awesome. And are you working with any type of uh, foundation that you want to talk about? Any uh, is there any charitable work out there or anything? Another book coming up? You know, I'm working with uh, tons of charitable foundations, and I'm
6: proud of all of them. There's just, I mean, we've got, we're doing things for the children of, of veterans who've fallen, doing things for disabled guys, doing things for, I'm um, part of this organization to stop, you know, uh, just suicide in general. Just, we, we, you know, this is something that it's out of control, and it needs to stop, and it's crushing us every day. So there's a, a million things out there, but uh, the thing we have to facilitate is just communication.
2: Communication, seriously, that is what we all need to do with each other, our neighbors, our veterans, our own family members. We should all talk to each other and just have um, a conversation about whatever's on our mind and not bottle it up so that it festers and it becomes rotten inside. We should just talk about it. And I think when you mentioned we should be more vulnerable, we should communicate with one another, uh, you really hit right where it should be on a holistic world level. We should all just try to understand each other. It's just it. And with that said, David... I just want to say thank you for being a part of soft reps veterans episode today. And remember the Ramrods. I will never forget the Ramrods personally from me to you and from all your Ramrods. And David, you have been just a really pleasure and an easy person to talk with. And thanks for being so open with our, our listeners. And do you have any last minute advice for us? No, I mean, I was just,
6: I told you before, and I'll tell you now on the record, I really appreciate the way you conduct yourself, how you do it, your passion, your empathy. There's going to be a million slings and arrows up and down, and people fickle, and they love you, they hate you. It's a rule of 50-50. Have the people love you. half the people want you dead. This is the way our world yes. is today. But you just keep charging. And that is the example that we need to have. You know, people talk about veterans, you didn't get the war, right? You got the war. You didn't get the war. Every veteran was willing to do what the Ramrods did. Correct. Every single person that stacks and gets ready to go in is prepared to bleed, prepared to sacrifice. I don't care if you've done it or not. I care that you're willing to do it. That tells me everything about who you are. It tells me everything about what I need from you. And and that's one big family and one big tribe. So Thank you for representing us and doing what you do and the way you do it, man. Uh, God bless you. Appreciate you.
2: I'll just give you one of these right here. You know what I'm saying? So love I really that, appreciate yeah. you. I give you Thank a big you. old salute right there. And uh, appreciate you were a wonderful uh, guest. We'll have you back on, okay? I'll, I'll get you that. on in a l- later on episode and we'll just hash out another conversation. I love it. I love it, man. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, David, and thank you to my listeners of Soft Rep Radio and to all of our veterans and all of the veterans worldwide that are fighting for their cause. Go home safely. And with that, I say peace.
0: You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio.